Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to this very special edition of the Empire Podcast dedicated to the great Sir Ridley Scott. His new film, The Martian, in which Matt Damon is stranded on Mars and tries desperately to get home, may just be Sir Ridley's best in years. And maybe we're offered a chance to talk to the man behind Alien, Blade Runner, Thelma and Louise, Gladiator, Kingdom of Heaven and many, many more we jumped at it. I spoke to Ridley in London recently and it was a wide-ranging chat about his upcoming return to the Alien franchise, Alien Paradise Lost, his prolific and prodigious output and, of course, The Martian itself. At 78, Sir Ridley has more energy than men have his age and he's great fun to interview, as I hope you'll agree. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by Sir Ridley Scott. How are you, sir? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank you very much for asking. I love The Martian. It seems to me like Ridley Scott sci-fi movies are like buses. You wait 30 years for one, then three come along at once. <laughs> what was it about now, at this point in your life, that you decided to come back to the genre? Well, I didn't start till I was 40. I made a film, mm-hmm. first film when I was 40. Up to that, it'd been all advertising. I certainly thought when I was 39, Christ, I'd better make a movie, otherwise it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> but since then, I've jammed quite a few in. And I'm just expanding as I get more prolific it gets easier and so i'm just seeing if i can do two a year now I'm trying to do two a year two a year well we previewed last year 11 months ago was exodus which is massive this is true it's nice it's i mean very i'm very happy about that woody allen makes yeah one a year famously yeah, he, but his he, movies he, are small yeah yeah, yeah. but that's are, all right yours are big i mean how do you do it i know my real value in my education was going to art school and from that, I didn't realize how it was going to be applied to what I do later. But what I do later, I see in images. And so my hardest single thing to do is get it on paper. Choosing materials is not so difficult now. Before I used to agonize over what do I do next, now I'm very much random. If I like it, I just do it. <laughs> I, I, don't stu- I don't naval study and think too hard about it. I just say, hey, that's good, let's do it. So did you in the past, for example, did sci-fi movies come your way in the interim between Came out of the and Blade blue. Runner? Yeah, came from Fox. Fox, funnily enough, again, sent me, because of The Duelist, which is a very bizarre connection, because The Duelist is not a Hollywood movie in any shape or form, even though we won at Cannes. And I think the film's excellent. I saw it again recently. I was surprised how good it was. It doesn't age at all. No, it doesn't. But Fox, somebody sent it to me, and I was kind of, okay. So I said, <laughs> and I discovered that I was fifth choice. Yes, behind but Robert. People like Robert Altman. It's Robert like, Altman. Altman wouldn't want to do that. Are you crazy? Yeah. I love Altman's work, but not that he wouldn't want to do that. But I read it, and because I was an art director, and I loved Jean-Jean Mobius, I going combing through a lot of Mobius stuff, because I'd seen Star Wars, and it had absolutely flipped my mind. And so I went back into a lot of the heavy metal comics, mm-hmm. and looked at that with a view to saying, how do I do some kind of space thing? I was turning Tristan the Salt into a no-time-no-place Mm. semi-futuristic post-Holocaust idea. Yes. Which would be new at the yeah. time. Yeah, And except the subtext of Star Wars is definitely post-Holocaust. There's something in there that where something terrible happened. And then somebody sent me alien. So I was kind of half across the fence into the field. I went, I know what to do. And I said, I'll do it. And they said, no problem. I said, no. You want to change it? No. Any re- no. <laughs> so I was standing in Hollywood in 22 hours and they said, you sure? I said, no. I love it. <laughs> which is a very good lesson to my kids are all directors now. I said, don't turn a Go film into a development deal by going in 
with too much information. Just say you love it. <laughs> so Tristan and Assault, you, you never made. There are a number of films uh, throughout your career that are almost the ones that got away. I'm thinking Dune, of... Dune got away. Dune got away. I, I wrote, imagined... We wrote it. Yeah. Rudy Wilson wrote it. Tulane Blacktop and Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid he wrote. It was a good script, but I, I couldn't follow through for a personal reason. Okay. I stepped off there with Dino. I was writing with Dino. And I love Dino, and I would never work with Dino again till the Hannibal. So we did, we did good. But I had to step off. There was somebody who was ill, and I couldn't. I just simply couldn't do it. Sure, but uh, there's also the likes of I Am Legend with Arnold Schwarzenegger, yes. which you came very close to making. Is there one that you really think of? Is that one of the ones that got away for you? That uh, yeah, and we had really prepped that uh, yeah. with John Logan, and great vision for what happened to bring mm. you to this point where people will come battering down your doors at night who are zombies. And in the film, they kind of missed that part out. I mean, I hate yeah. to be critical, but honestly, the one we'd done was showing how... I wish I got my hands on Will prior to that. <laughs> uh, because we did a much more epic view rather than just being locked in out. That is a definite shame that one didn't happen. But now, as you say, you just... Something comes along to you, it appeals to you, yeah. and you make it. And The Martian didn't start with you. That, that came to you. That was the script that... Uh, yeah, came. That mostly we develop stuff now. I mean, yeah. I make stuff. I make a lot of television. I don't direct it, but... I directed a pilot last year if I owned the show. Uh, mostly we develop, get it written, work with writers, etc. This landed saying, you better read this. I'm due to do the second follow-up to Prometheus a year, 10 months ago. And they said, we're still working. You're still working. Why don't you take a look at this? And so I took a look. I went, wow. <laughs> and I got it immediately. I said, I'll do this. And met with this very nice man called Drew Goddard. And I said, yeah. you've done movies. Why aren't you doing this? Were you crazy? And he said, <laughs> I've got something else to do. I said, okay. I said, all right, away I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to take it. I'm going to go. It's your last warning. And so away we went. It's a fantastic film, man. It's got a lovely thread of humor running all the way through. That was key. That's what got me. I was kind of giggling or amused all the way through. <laughs> but what comes through is the humor you realize is a armor to enable him to get over fear. Yes. And enable him to function so right there, that's courage. If you're fearless, you're just fucking nuts, right? But if you're afraid, but you still do it, that's real courage. And there's also this lovely scene running through the film, this lovely pop culture reference scene. Oh. So there's, there's a scene where uh, Lord of the Rings is discussed, while Sean Bean, who of course was in Lord of the Rings, is sitting at a table, yeah. which I, I just loved. Did the mischievous person in you want to insert at any point a line where someone says, in space, no one can hear you scream. Is kind of, but I didn't dare do that. There's a thing where Christian Wiggs very funny, and she couldn't resist dropping in a few line, one-liners, which they were so devastatingly funny that they brought the scene to a halt. <laughs> but it's what the Mark Watney calls. He says, Mark, you've got to stop. This is bad language because the whole world is watching. And yes. he goes, oh, yeah? So he starts typing something in. And I think we, we then go to the head of NASA who's standing there watching, and his face tells it all. <laughs> so the next thing he's talking to the President of the United States, and we had to take that out because what he described him was a word that I won't even repeat. <laughs> he said, I had to, and it's very unusual, but you have to look in the dictionary to know what it means. Oh, really? It's not oh, the yeah, sort of thing. Uh, and uh, it, when you describe what it is, it's like, whoa. Okay. So we talk, but it worked without the word. Without the word. It works very well, I have to say. Matt Damon is fantastic in the film. He's on his own, obviously, for quite a lot of the movie. Yeah. Does your directing style change when you have just one actor on set and you don't have to oh, focus yeah. on everyone else? Yeah, it is, because I can concentrate with them, not mm -hmm. on them. I, you know, whatever it is, it's a kind of partnership. That's what I try and do. And if it's a group of them, I try and make it sure that it's, I'm like Uncle Red, hustling them along into what I want to do or whether what they want to do. Yeah. And sometimes I lose, sometimes they lose. Absolutely. But for the most part, it's pretty good. 
I try and make it fun. I think they like that. They love that. You know, if you make it light, even though it's drama, it enables them, it frees them. It, it gives them freedom to do what they want. Because my job is to sing fly, and I can watch saying too high, too low. That's where it gets to. Yeah, yeah. The very best actors don't want to hear much. They just want to hear, you want it quicker? You want it slower? What do you want? Uh, but you, n- never what do you want? Faster or slower? Faster or slower. Yeah, see, is that a bit long? Yeah, it was endless. I fell asleep. You know, fuck you. And, and, but that's the conversation. There's nothing pretend like the mum's dying of cancer and the dog's ill, and you, know, you don't do that. Have you ever given an actor a line reading? Are you one of those directors? Oh, I'm a fearless. I'll yeah. say, you don't like it? You want to hear it? And they go, no, 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 I'll do it. <laughs> Has that changed over the years? I mean, how different was it directing Matt in this on his own? Let's say, for example, Sigourney at the end of Alien. Well, Sigourney, the end of Alien, it was a real partnership because I was an operator on all my films. In those days, one camera, so Duelist, Alien, I was the operator. My buddy is Derek Van Lint, was the cameraman who had done 100 commercials, so we knew each other inside out. The last 15, 17 minutes, there is no dialogue. All her doing her thing, definitely looking sexy, and terror. And because of that, I'm working handheld, so I'm very close to her all the way. So during, you, I can talk to her while yeah. it's happening. And she liked that. But then I also put down those corridors, I'd put speakers, 15-inch speakers. I was playing fundamentally War of the Worlds from Tomita. <laughs> no, seriously. And wow. I said, do you want... Because you're on your own. You, you got me. Yeah. And I'll say, closer, closer, closer. Come in, come in, come in. I'd go into her. And that's how we shot all that. Said, oh, that's one shot. And I said, I've got some music for you. You want to hear it? She said, yeah. But she said, that's fantastic. Wow. And I always play the music. Actors love to have the music. Well, there's no doubt like this. In a funny kind of way, it becomes like a ballet going through that. That whole movement through that's like a ballet. And that helps enormously because part of the job as a director is to find the best way of actually putting the, the proscenium around them so they feel safe and they get what they can from what you put around them. And so I can't say, and he's coming and he may come around the corner and all that bullshit, that's awful. But Tamita is so threatening that that was me just photographing him. Amazing. And what did you do for Matt? Did you play music for him? Did we um, talked a lot about, also a lot of it, when you've got a, such a definitive piece of paper, then you can literally say, why is there no fear? Well, there is. It could be here, here, and here. There could be actual terror here. But then out of that terror will come humor because you're trying to push back the fear. Right? And then you agree on those islands of differences, the differences of where it's going to go. It's all intuitive, and you discuss it. He said, well, I wouldn't because. I said, oh, well, because. Oh, right, okay. So there's, an, there's, a, there's a toing and froing there till you get to where you want to go. And these are, I'm going to go away and do my homework conversations because then I'll go off. He'll go off having done all of that, quite detailed, actually. Then on the morning, I walk in, how are you doing? The hair looks good. Da, 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 you know, let's go. Go on the set. And then usually what happens is we've described and agreed kind of what's going to happen. But when you're in a small space like that, it's pretty straightforward. Sure. I said, so physically, you're probably going to do this, this, this. What do you think? That sounds good. Okay, do you want to just do a walkthrough? Don't act. And then don't act. Save your acting. I said, right, now we're going to turn over. So we always turn over on rehearsal. Everything. Okay. Immediately. Do not turn over. If he's going to do something, don't. You must turn over. Yes. Because he might get it. And I, so often before, I go through a style of working, which would be, I'd end up doing 15, 16 takes. I'd go back and look at the first one and go, bugger, I should have filmed that. And <laughs> so I always film take one, two, and three. That's amazing. Invariably, you get it. And then they say, I've got it. Come and have a look. 
They said, oh my God, yeah, we got it. I said, do you want to do another one? No. Move on. Nice and simple, nice and simple. But that makes you way quick. So this yeah. film was done in 72 days. That's astonishing. Yeah. Yesterday, you put the alien cat among the alien pigeons by revealing the title of what we thought was going to be Prometheus 2. Yeah. It is clearly not. You're heading in a different direction. Well, in a way, it is Prometheus 2. It's exactly the same story, taken literally buffer to buffer from where we left off to where they arrive. So we start and land where they arrive. And I always, way back when, years ago, and I kept mulling over what Alien 2 could be. Jim hadn't made Alien yet. I was fiddling around with some ideas. I was always fascinated by who and why would this thing be made? By whom? For what purpose? And therefore, the planet it was on, I was looking at the darker side of the moon, would be called Paradise. And they would go be very literal, of course. Going <laughs> paradise. I said, well, Paradise can be very... It's a very ominous... It's a, an ominous word. Paradise lost. Milton. Mm-hmm. It's a very dark tale. So the first Prometheus circles that idea. Whereas, you know, the handsome guy is always the most evil and gets to go to all the girls and goes to all the nightclubs. The other guy, who's a little less good-looking, actually is kind of boring, you know, the good, good, goody-two-shoes is boring. And so we're going to go there next with that. Is Prometheus taking us slightly off course to where I'm going, which is actually backing into the first alien? And you've said over a period of several films. Well, is that the if idea, there's or? one next, I think there'll be probably one to two more before I explain why that ship landed there and how Sigourney Weaver arrived. <laughs> I've even got yeah, connections with Ripley. This one in yeah. Paradise Lost. Yep. That's fascinating. <laughs> well, well, please do. Yeah. <laughs> well, please do if you want to. Paradise was at one point a potential title for Prometheus. That is something that was... Yeah, it was yeah. always played with because they thought it was too literal. Because audiences are very literal, unless you put the subtext with it. Mm-hmm. Now, the subtext can be a poster. So if I had a poster with that terrible egg on it and a cross saying paradise, you would go, okay. You know, as opposed to a girl skipping through the daisies saying paradise is a different deal. It's all about association, isn't it? It is indeed. Yeah. It is indeed. A lot of people yesterday were wondering when the name Alien appeared in the title, what this means for Neil Blomkamp's movie. I'm producing it. The design of it to go next after this, this will go out first and then that will come in next. And it's more associated with Ripley. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. There's something that seems to be his is coming at it from a different angle, almost like oh, the franchise from a different direction. Different angle. More of a sequel. Yours is definitely. A it's prequel. more of a yeah. It's kind of more of a sequel after after after. Okay. I'm coming in from the back end, answering the big question is answering why and who for what purpose and also reaching for a slightly higher question. Well, yeah, it's interesting because uh, Prometheus was, I think, largely concerned with the birth of man, the birth of mankind, the we question never of. It. We never, you know, absolutely. We never got you, that. You introduced the engineers and the idea of is this God in a, which of course is not. Yeah, but it's superior. I mean, I was influenced really by Kubrick in the last part of his film, where I'm watching the astronaut who's now in a hotel bedroom in a Louis Quinze furniture with a milk glass floor, just looks a very expensive high-end hotel, and there's room service, except when I see him, he's now gone very old. So he's, he's a canary in a cage, mm-hmm. in a gilded cage. He's being kept to study. Why is he being kept to study? Probably because if the alien or the superior force mm-hmm. or the god figure would show himself, it would probably kill the canary. Yes. have a heart attack. I think if you saw a real ghost, you'd probably have a heart attack. <laughs> I think and I probably would. if you know it's really something, I think you'd probably give you definitely yeah. a bad, bad time. And therefore, he was being studied. 
And I was sort of, that's interesting, because from that, because Stanley always wanted to have the alien mm. and couldn't come up with the design of an alien. Mm. He would never have gone with my alien, because my alien's, in a funny kind of way, whilst it's marvellous, it's too on the nose. His would have been more esoteric, but the last thing he wanted was Father Time with a long beard and a scythe, you know. And, uh, you know, that, that's, you can't have that. And you can't have dry ice and slow motion and all shit like that, you know. So, <laughs> and, so I understood his predicament. I was lucky because I was in a horror movie and yes. I wanted a really massively different, vicious son of a bitch. <laughs> you said in the past that that massive, vicious son of a bitch might not make another appearance. It would be boring to you to no, do the alien to. again. I'll see it made and who made it. I'll, we will see who made it okay. and why. That's what's interesting. Fantastic. I think a lot of people are fascinated to see if David, if Mr. Fassbender, can get a, a new body. He's a, at the moment, he's a disembodied head. It's going to be better than that. <laughs> You're going to have to wait. It's really great. It's, it's a great, it's a great, very nice big idea I've got. Oh, fantastic. It works. It's fantastic. And you're going where in February for that? I start, for, yeah, Michael's available about end of February and March, so I start then. Okay, interesting. I wish you all the best with it. Thank you. Absolutely. Just a couple of last things before we go on. I mean, with this movie now, with Prometheus and Alien Paradise Lost, and you're essentially expanding the universe that you created. You've never dabbled in someone else's universe. At the moment, there are all these comic book movies happening, all these superhero films. You've never done one. Has, has one ever crossed your desk? Like who? For example, a Superman, a Batman. Oh, yeah. Nothing like that's ever come to um, I, You know, I think Batman and Superman are very difficult to do. Really difficult. Mm. And I lived, I was brought up on those comics... But when I used to look at Orphan Annie, I used to think that Daddy Warbucks was definitely a serial killer. And they had no pupils. They had no pupils. Yes. And Orphan Annie was spooky. She just had orbs. And I thought, what world is the, does this come out of? And I used to read, you, do you remember the Dagwoods? Mm-hmm. Yes. The Dagwoods. Blondie. Yeah. That was a blondie. Yeah. And so it, it, what culture is this coming from? Mm. was curious because those guys must have been real characters, those cartoonists. Then there was the guy, Frenchman, who uh, used to, the guy used to write all the Tarzan comics, out of Tarzana uh-huh. in the, on the valley. Yes. But the Frenchman who drew for him did great comics. So from those Tarzan comics, I used to copy the foliage and the, and the physical and the muscles and stuff like that. I was always drawing from comics. Dick Tracy looked like scar tissue. Like, why would that face be drawn like that? Yeah. And, and Superman, these are all the early ones. Yeah. Everything was quite dark, metaphorically, I thought. Dark, dark world, always about bad people and dark side of the moon. And I think I loved them. And I think I did a very good comic strip in A King Called Blade Runner. Blade Runner is a, a comic strip. It's about a monster called Roy Batty who proves to be more human than human. Mm-hmm. And a creator of human, the, this form of humanity called uh, uh, Terrell. Yes. So Terrell was about as comic strip as you could get. I even had the bow tie and the big bins, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I was doing a comic strip, so I think I did it. Amazing. And of course, you're producing Blade Runner 2 next. Yes. Yes. As well. Well, I've spent two years getting the bloody thing right, script. <laughs> and I did a lot of people. I knew Hampton didn't really want to do it. Yeah. So I called him. I said, come on, you old, you know, fuck. And he I said, come on. And he was living in New York. And he said, Mwah. and so I brought him into London. We sat here for two weeks and we hammered out. I had one big idea, which I can't tell you what it is because it's the whole I, base of the story. I imagine, yeah. The important to have that big idea. That you think, okay, that's the mountain standing in the middle of the pile of rocks. And you go, oh, okay, that's a good idea. Once you've got that idea, 
then it, then you start evolving. And Hampton still talks the talk and walks the walk. He did it. <laughs> and, uh, and so it was great fun reworking everything with him. We came up with a sequel. And then it was polished with another very good screenwriter. And away we're going to go. And you, you chose... Dennis. A, yeah, yeah, indeed. I, I presume you didn't just want a director who would do a Ridley Scott impression. No, no, no. I mean, I would have done it, but I haven't got time. I think in a funny kind of way, I'm more fascinated by the follow through to with Michael Fassbender, but I love doing the screenplay. So at least I have part of that. Yeah. I think it needs to be an evolution on what I did. What I did is a hard thing to follow. And do you think looking back at your career now, there seems to be you're revisiting Alien, you're revisiting Blade Runner. Yeah. Is that it in terms of the back catalogue? Is there anything you'd look at and you would want to mind oh, for I, one I was more? watching my wife loves musicals and uh, she really is fanatic about Hollywood musicals. Mm-hmm. Bit of an innocent in that sense of the word, but she was watching that and I sat the, behind her watching this and it was singing in the rain. That's a fantastically skilled, beautifully made movie. Mm. In a funny kind of way, it's almost Hollywood at its very, very, very highest peak because mm. it's reaching for a very optimistic feeling for an audience. That's what it's trying to do. There's no pretension to it. The skill set in it are just amazing. Oh, the dancing. And Donald O'Connor is seriously underestimated. Yeah, it's great. Wow. It's great. So, I mean, Gene Kelly is the master, but so was the other one, uh, Fred. But the women in it are fabulous. Mm. Fantastic. And the, you know, when those the da- dancing was sexy. <laughs> yeah. It was sexy. Yeah. Sid Cherise, wow. <laughs> are you saying you want to do a musical? Yeah. A Ridley Scott musical? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the last two great musicals for me were All That Jazz. Cabaret was excellent. They were good. Those are two very good films. Uh, Hugh Jackman's making an, an original musical at the moment about Barnum. Okay, oh, which by I would, the circus. Yeah, oh, yeah which okay. I would love to, you know, an original musical these days. Oh, he's a very great dancer. Thing. Yeah. He's and a great singer as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's fantastic. That's good. But that's, that's from Hollywood's back catalogue. Is there anything else from your back catalogue, from your CV, that you would like to revisit, or in the style of Blade Runner and Alien? Westerns. There's a Western script that exists that belongs to somebody and they won't let it go. And uh, that would be the one. I'd, I've pursued it for like 10 years. If they would wait too long, it's never going to get made because it's going to grow out of date. This isn't Blood Meridian, is it? No, I adapted that. Okay, yeah. With with uh, Bill Monaghan. And it's so... The book is w- a wonderful read. And in fact, Comic wrote a great screenplay that I did called The... It's a film I'm really proud of, actually, called The Counselor. Yeah. I love the film. And the dialogue, the script was like, fantastic. And Blood Meridian is a very, very good adaptation by Bill. Mm. But it's so savage... And so bloody, I fear that there will be no market for it because it's irredeemably violent. Mm. And as, you know, the man says, he said, I write the book. I don't make apologies for it. Yeah. I'm not going to explain the violence. He said it's implicit, isn't it? So, yeah, you're right. You can't politically correct such violence. It is what it is. So, and it's about middle American, mid-19th century American things that happened. So you either want to see that kind of thing or not. And I'm not sure I do either. To inexplicable violence is like, it becomes a turnoff, right? So how do you choose? Because you have all these projects. You have different projects on the go. You developed Blood Meridian for a long, long time. I think I Am Legend was beyond your control. That fell apart yeah, for other apart, reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Too, we were too expensive. But how wow. do you, uh, otherwise, how do you decide what's next? Um, it's all in the writing. The, uh, I've got f- well, there's, there's six right now. All written, got them, and two of them I haven't got. I'm kind of very curious about one particular. 
mm. spectacular thing, which mm. is really contemporary, present day. I'm trying to do in between two big ones yes. to do something smaller. I like doing that. That'd be great. Two a year. Well, well like the council. The council I could shoot in. I did that in seven weeks. Wow. With that cast is fantastic. <laughs> that was really great fun, I tell you. That's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's two last things, Ridley. We're asking everyone these questions at the moment. I'm sure you've explained this before in the past, but we ask everyone who has a production company about the origin of the name of mm. that company. Mm-hmm. So Scott Free. Why, why did you choose Scott Free? It was Tony's name. Mm-hmm. Tony had his company called Scott Free. And I kept saying to him, you know, we're a pretty good, formidable pair. Why don't we start a company called Scott Free? We'll call it the name Scott Free. And so he said, oh, okay. And <laughs> I was always pushing him into business. <laughs> he, I mean, he was being happy just to do his films as he did them. But I said, I think we could be a little bit bigger. Absolutely. Uh, lovely play on words. It just, it just lends itself. Yes. Beautifully. And the last thing is, <laughs> this ties into the comic book thing we were talking about. We're asking everyone this. Do you have a favorite, Batman or Superman? Which is your preference and why? As, I mean, as films or as characters? As characters. I think um, that's a tough call, actually, because Batman is a very dark fantasy. And Superman, he comes from the very first Superman that was done with um, a gentleman who directed one of my favorite movies um, called The Omen. Richard Donner. Donner. Yeah. Yeah. Donner's film had a kind of innocence to it, which was... Yeah refreshing was refreshing i thought and therefore in a funny kind of way that was one of the best most intended seriously intended versions yeah yeah absolutely the danger when we get into lots of visual effects which you can do easily and all that kind of thing the visual effects take over from the story so i think the danger is losing the story i'd always go with the character first so i think i'm not really answering this question If your life was on the line, if you had to choose one, you're not doing it. Batman. Batman. There you go. Fantastic. Ridley Scott, thank you so much. Thank you. And that was Sir Ridley Scott, and that is it for this very special Empire podcast. The regular Empire podcast is up on Friday, and this week features Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway. You can't say fairer than that. And keep them peeled over the next few weeks for a whole bunch of specials, including Guillermo del Toro talking about Crimson Peak. Uh, we have Pan as well, and the long-awaited Mad Max Fury Road spoiler special with one George Miller. Hope to see you for those as well. Thanks for listening. Take care.